WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Thursday, May 25th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Plenty of sunshine today, high 69. Tonight, overnight, partly cloudy, low 53. And then Friday, sunny, high 73. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 47 and clear in Rybrook in Westchester. That's where I got married, actually. 50 and cloudy in Frenchtown in New Jersey. And it's 51 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning. Sad to see this story. When I walked in this morning, Nicholas Gray, you might not recognize the name, but he is the founder of Gray's Papaya, which is, I would say, one of the most beloved in eccentric hot dog restaurants in New York at the corner of 72nd and Broadway. He passed away at 86 years old. Interesting guy. He had initially gone to, into business with Papaya King. You've probably seen those all over the city. And then something happened where the partnership fell apart back in the 1970s, and he opened up Gray's Papaya. It was the only place he opened, corner of 72nd and Broadway. It's still there. Uh, the hot dogs have sort of almost a crunch to them. It's hard to describe. And I don't think like Captain Crunch or a potato chip, but there's just a little bit of a crunch when you bite into the hot dog. And they got them grilling uh, all day long there. And then uh, papaya, because they have all different kinds of what they call healthy juices for digestion. I don't know if that's really true. Doesn't really matter. Open 24 hours. So if you get off that train at 72nd and Broadway at 2 or 3 in the morning, which I used to do back in my younger days when I lived on the Upper West Side, it was always a good late night snack. Two hot dogs and a drink. They had a recession special. And um, he, when he opened up, um, Nicholas opened up his own hot dog place, Grace Papaya, on the web. Upper West Side at 72nd and Broadway. Uh, his hot dogs were 50 cents a piece, and that was 25 cents cheaper than his former partner, Papaya King. He was undercutting his old partner. And uh, he was an interesting guy. He was very political. He was conservative. He, When he was mad at some politician who would create these signs and put them in the window. And the times he was most upset was when he'd have to raise the prices of hot dogs. And it wasn't just a gimmick. He was mad. And so then in the uh, 1980s, uh, when things were bad in the economy, he created the recession special. And they still have it till today. The initial recession special, I think, was a dollar ninety five for a pair of hot dogs and juice. And then over the years, he's raised that. I think it's five dollars now, the recession special, if you stop by there. It's still a good deal. The hot dogs are really good. The papaya juice is excellent. But uh, sad to see that Nicholas Gray, who founded Gray's Papaya and was very political, interesting guy, has passed away at 86 years old. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. Riders push back against a plan to raise subway, bus, and train fares. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis finally jumps into the race for the White House. There's more to the story of those two missing boys who drowned in the Hudson and Harlem Rivers. 
there is a pizza slice graffiti mystery in Westchester. And a sad goodbye to an Upper West Side hot dog chain. Well, we just did that story, so you know that one. All right, let's get into it at 5.04. New York commuters airing their grievances over the MTA's plan to implement fare hikes and congestion pricing. Will these hearings make a difference? Let's find out the latest now from 77 WABC's Alex Barnard, who joins us live. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Gnome, and yes, that's right. If approved, subway and bus rides would go up to $2.90, while drivers could be paying an additional $23 to enter below Manhattan's 60th Street. Congestion pricing will not serve everyone fairly. What is never discussed is the harm that congestion pricing will bring to the residents who live in the zone. Don't let the haters fool you. It is great. Keep pushing for it. We need it. Yeah, you can hear that there's a mixture of opinions there. The plans especially don't sit well with Passengers United President Charlton D'Souza. The subways are not safe. You guys should not have a fare increase. And then you guys want to have congestion pricing. Congestion pricing will not work because the subways are not designed to handle the overflow crowd. Meanwhile, Governor Hochul, who was in attendance at the meeting, defended the fare hikes. We suspended that last year, but we're going to keep the base fare under $3.00. And the weekly pass is just going up $1, and and the city ticket on the railroads at peak hours will be $7. She added that her commitment to the MTA is her commitment to the future of New York. So, okay, so there's two stories here, of course, congestion pricing, which looks like it might be implemented next spring. And then you have these fare hikes. I know there's a lot of talk that people might be scared out of their car by congestion pricing and then overcrowd the subways and buses. Is Were they talking about that last night or yesterday? Yes, they were. Uh, Charlton D'Souza made it a, uh, a special point to bring that, that up. Yeah, and, comments. and and so we're talking 15 cents on somebody who pays the full fare, which is somebody who just rides it infrequently. But it's then a couple bucks for the weekly pass, a couple bucks more for the monthly pass. Right. I believe it's five dollars for the monthly pass. I I don't remember off the top of my head for the weekly pass. Yes, yeah, I think it's a couple. It goes up two or three bucks. Uh, this has been my experience, Alex, is they have these hearings and they don't mean anything. <laughs> Of course I, they don't. <laughs> I can't remember a time that I've been covering New York, which I've been doing for a long time, where they have these hearings. It doesn't matter whether it's New Jersey Transit, the MTA, whatever it is. They have what they call these public hearings where the public gets to weigh in against these fare hikes. And then they go and they do them anyway. So Right. They go, oh, we'll think about that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. 290 anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. WABC's Alex Barnard. Thank you very much. 507, first check of traffic, <laughs> transit, and weather on the sevens. Good morning, Joe Nolan. Yeah, public hearings a waste of time. Everybody. Time is they never change anything, right? And and sometimes they go out of their way to hold like twenty of them, you know. And and then you know nobody's paying attention, so why? We all know it's funny, so why bother? Just yeah, I think it's just mandated by law they just have to do it, you know. So they do it, and then they go do whatever they want anyway. But I love the video of really angry people. There's yes. nothing better. No, nothing better. <laughs> nothing better. <laughs> yeah. But that congestion pricing is going to be a disaster, an absolute disaster. It is. And I, I, well, I, I can't imagine what it's going to look like at the tunnels and the bridges. I don't oh, know. It's, it's going to be a gonna, disaster. Are people going to stop coming to work? Are they going to work from home? I, I, I can't know. really figure it all out. I, I can't either. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all shakes out. But. Yeah, love that. WABC News Time 509. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announcing his 2024 presidential run last night. A video released on Twitter. If you nominate me, you can set your clock to January 20th, 2025 at high noon. 
because on the west side of the U.S. Capitol, I will be taking the oath of office as the 47th president of the United States. The Republican making that initial announcement on Twitter last night saying he's ready to lead. He served in the Navy, first elected to Congress 2012 before becoming governor in 2018. The Twitter spaces launch of DeSantis' bid was hit by some tech issues. If you were trying to tune in last night, you may have had some problems. It was eventually resolved. It was a live stream. Uh, DeSantis taking questions claims the U.S. going in the wrong direction, specifically pointing to issues at the border and spiking crime. Our president, well, he lacks vigor, flounders in the face of our nation's challenges, and he takes his cues from the woke mob. I don't think it has to be this way. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice. The Republican uh, discussing his choice to use Twitter as a platform to announce his run. I think what was done with Twitter is really significant for the future of our country. We cannot have a society in which government is colluding with major tech platforms to enforce an orthodoxy. And uh, a lot of of messages for Americans during this back and forth last night. Twitter, Elon Musk, DeSantis, uh, here's one of them. I pledge to be an energetic executive that will take on the important issues. Biden's pursued inflationary policies that are hurting working people. We will reverse those policies and we'll build an economy where working Americans can achieve a good standard of living. His biggest competitor, at least right now anyway, former President Trump, who leads in every single poll in the race for the GOP nomination, blasting DeSantis's campaign launch. He called the Twitter announcement a disaster on his truth social platform, saying that the whole campaign will be a disaster as well. Uh, as we mentioned, Twitter spaces, which is, uh, I think, sort of almost like Facebook Live. Uh, so if somebody is making some sort of speech or announcement, you get this notification on Twitter, you know, touch the screen and it takes you to this live feed of well, that live feed was not working well, at least in the beginning last night. Uh, they did fix it. Uh, I imagine that did not go over well with Elon Musk, who was part of this conversation that his own Twitter platform was having tech issues. Uh, that kind of thing shouldn't happen. 5-11. Let's go down to D.C. The White House accusing House Republicans of manufacturing a crisis over raising the debt limit. That's what we're seeing currently. That's what we've been dealing with for the past couple of weeks, a manufactured crisis. Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre there says members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus openly referring to the full faith of credit of the U.S. as a hostage. They've been very honest about this. They're saying the quiet thing out loud, referring to the full faith and credit of the United States as a hostage. All right. So back and forth, Republicans blaming the Democrats, Democrats blaming the Republicans. Will they get it together uh, before this deadline? In, uh, you have lots of people watching closely. The markets, of course, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, says it's highly likely the U.S. will run out of cash to pay its bills by early June if Congress doesn't raise that debt ceiling. It's highly likely that we would run out of resources. Uh, she can say what I just exactly the, said. Okay, but she's saying there is more for The her. one thing that should not happen here is that the government should default. The White House, House Republicans still fall apart in a number of places on the debt ceiling. There's differences. We know where it's at. You have to spend less than you spent last year. That's not that difficult to do. But in Washington, somehow, that is a problem. Speaker Kevin McCarthy there says he's sending his team to the White House to continue negotiations. They were there yesterday, apparently, as well. It's common sense. It's reasonable and it's rational that we spend less next year 
than we spend this year. Democrats, of course, as you heard, were blaming the Republicans here, the Republicans blaming President Biden for acting too slowly on the debt ceiling. He could have spoken to me and said we were wrong on other angles, but he didn't. And now we're eight days away from Biden having default. Yeah, so who will blink? Will they come to a compromise? Uh, I guess it's just a wait and see. Let's hope they do. 513, the White House, meanwhile, slamming Republicans for planning a vote on a resolution to do away with the president's student loan forgiveness program. The same Republican lawmakers objecting to student debt relief are refusing are refusing to cut billions of dollars in handouts to big oil. They even had their own loans forgiven. Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre says uh, President Biden would veto the measure if it makes it to his desk. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who had $183,000 of her own business loans forgiven, vote to deny debt relief to the 92,000 student bars she represents. All right, 514, Nations Airlines, airports, air traffic control systems say they are prepared for the Memorial Day travel weekend. Uh, Of course, kicks off the summer surge. You remember if you traveled last year, but anytime between Memorial Day and the end of summer, it was a disaster. I mean, all around, it was just hard uh, getting to the plane through TSA lines and you got on the plane, you waited hours. Uh, There was a shortage of pilots, a shortage of staff, not enough TSA workers. They say most of that has been fixed for this summer travel season. Here's correspondent Tom Costello. Since last summer, every airline has staffed up. More pilots, more flight attendants, gate agents, ticket crews, and ground staff. Ten million travelers expected through TSA uh, checkpoints this long weekend. The nation's airlines promising no repeat of last summer. Delay rates were at unacceptable proportions last year and it's important that that not happen again transportation secretary pete Buttigieg there united's ceo scott kirby warns that pushing compensation for significantly delayed flights could undermine safety that's what president biden's pushing saying hey if the airline makes you wait you should get paid for your time he said united of course doesn't like that idea i don't want our employees even thinking about cost when they're making the safe safety decisions all right we'll watch it all play out of course over this weekend lots of people already taken to the skies we're already hearing by the way some stories of people waiting in long lines so uh well as they say i hate this, this phrase but i'll use it anyway pack your patience all right 515 let's head over to the 77 wabc sports desk good morning happy friday eve justin ellick well happy friday eve to you as well noam Aladdin. we'll start here on the diamond both the mets and yankees came up short with losses yesterday Yankees lose a 96, uh, 96, 9-2-6 to the rival Orioles uh, in the Bronx. And the Mets falling 4-2 in Chicago to the Cubs for the Yanks. Things were going swell up 5-1 to before an eight-run inning out of Baltimore in the seventh that buried the Bombers for good. They'll try and bounce back to grab the series win tonight at 7.05 p.m. with Clark Schmidt getting the start against Baltimore's Kyle Gibson. As for the Mets, the loss ma- uh, makes it two straight for them and a series loss to the Cubs with the offense failing to show up for the third straight contest. They'll see if they can inject some life into the bats tonight in the finale with Chicago. 
set for a 7.40 p.m. first pitch in a Carlos Carrasco versus Kyle Hendricks pitching matchup. On the ice, the Panthers get it done at home and complete the sweep of the Hurricanes, winning game four by a score of 4-3 and punching their ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals where they'll meet the winner of the Golden Knights and Stars Series. Speaking of that Western Conference Final, things could be set in stone after tonight's 8 p.m. puck drop for game four in Dallas with Vegas trying to complete a sweep of their own up three games to none. And tonight on the hardwood, the Heat and Celtics meet in Boston at 8.30 p.m. for game five of the Eastern Conference Final Miami. We'll try yet again to eliminate Boston currently up three games to one in this series. Here were sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. WABC News Time 519. Let's go down to Texas. Yesterday marked one year since the mass shooting at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas. Many in the community remain really frustrated by the lack of answers, accountability of law enforcement who waited in school hallways before confronting the 18-year-old shooter. We realize you still don't have the answers that you need, and it's frustrating to all of us. For that, I apologize. That's Uvalde's Mayor Don McLaughlin. The criminal investigation over the hesitant police response to the attack at Robb Elementary still ongoing a year later. One of the deadliest school shootings American history carried out after the gunman legally purchased two assault rifles just days before. 19 kids, two teachers lost their lives, leaving behind... Well, just endless pain for the families and the community. Officials this week said the plans are moving forward to demolish the site of the massacre. Uvalde parent Gloria Caceres says time has stood still since the deadly shooting. May 24th has, you can't, as the families ourselves, of course, some community members, there's no moving there's no moving on. Other families speaking out against gun violence. Everybody will say, oh, guns don't kill people. People kill people. But we're allowing these people to use these guns to murder people. And it doesn't make any sense. President Biden marking the one-year anniversary uh, of the Uvalde shooting. I realize this is a really tough day for all the families. Remembering is important, but it's also painful. He reiterated his call for Congress to pass an assault weapons ban, universal background checks. In each place, we hear the same message. Do something. For God's sake, please do something. And the president claiming there's been 650 mass shootings in the U.S. since last year's deadly shooting at Robb Elementary. We can't end this epidemic until Congress passed some common sense gun safety laws to keep weapons of war off our streets and out of the hands of dangerous people. All right, let's bring it back here, 521. The NYPD chief of detectives, James Essig, making a public plea for anyone with cell video of the 14 minutes before those two boys disappeared into the Harlem River back on May 12th to come forward. As we had been talking about, these two boys went missing. There was uh, pictures of them walking together, and then... The trail went cold, and then they found these two boys in the river. And the police think there's more to this story. So they want anybody who knows anything to come forward. From 6.43 p.m. to 6.50 p.m., we tracked the three boys over the pedestrian footbridge. Two of the kids are seen climbing over a fence going towards the water. Yes, so that third boy, very important to this investigation because he's the one who apparently called 911 to say the boys were in the river. Essek says an investigation in conjunction with the Manhattan DA's office, the medical examiner, uh, medical examiner continues to determine if the deaths of 11-year-old Alpha Barry and 13-year-old Garrett Warren were accidental 
or a result of horseplay at the river's edge, or maybe something even more sinister. Now, this third boy, he called 911 to report the boys had fallen into the river. Uh, Police and firefighters raced to the river and didn't find anything on that Friday. He states that a group of kids approached him, stated that two kids were pushing each other and fell in the water. So Essek laying out this timeline of about 14 minutes before the two boys are believed to have fallen into the East River. No other indication that they were anything but good kids. We know that kids, they take video, they post video, they exchange video on social media. If anyone has seen any video or heard of any video, please contact us. And so uh, the head of detective saying that anyone that knows anything has to come forward just so the family knows exactly what took place on that day. We want to find out exactly what occurred on that river. We owe that to the family for closure. And we also owe it to the public as well. No two ways about it. Just a tragic story in all. 523, uh, the Nassau County Executive, the latest politician to speak out about Daniel Penny's deadly subway chokehold on Jordan Neely. Republican Bruce Blakeman holding a rally with veterans lower Manhattan yesterday to blast District Attorney Alvin Bragg for bringing a manslaughter charge against Marine vet Daniel Penny. Mr. Penny was a good Samaritan. He was doing the right thing. This is enough of politics in Manhattan. We've had enough of it. You can hear some of the screaming in the background. Those are counter-protesters and Jordan Neely supporters who showed up to accuse Blakeman of trying to score political points. Some counter-protesters were taken away by police after getting physical. Three were arrested. It's absolutely deplorable that, that there are opportunistic politicians who are now using Daniel Penny to raise their own funds. But Nassau County Executive... Uh, uh, Bruce Blakeman pushed forward praising Daniel Penny during this rally yesterday. He cared about his fellow subway riders. He cared enough to get involved. And isn't that what we want? I feel like it's our duty to um, to be there and disrupt this right-wing narrative um, that he's a hero who can now take justice into, into his old hands. Yeah, the back and forth taking place lower Manhattan yesterday. 525. Mayor Adams says he hopes the court will give clarity on New York City's right to shelter law as migrants continue to arrive by the busload daily. The mayor asking a judge to allow the city to suspend the right to shelter requirement, which has been in place for about 40 years. Our shelter system is buckling. We are trying to prevent it from collapsing. And we all know that it's a real issue. So we need to stop pretending like it's not. So Adams couldn't comment on the details surrounding the case, only saying the court will decide. 70,000, that's the number being thrown around, of migrants have arrived in the city since last spring. Adams saying the city should not be handling this national crisis all on its own. The message has been clear. Uh, New York has done its share, and we, we want to go in court and have clarity. That's what we're asking for. And City Hall's chief counsel, uh, Brendan McGuire, says the Adams administration only wants flexibility regarding that 40-year-old requirement about having to take in the homeless. This isn't an effort here to turn our backs on anyone. The the past year demonstrates that we're not going to do that. We will not do that. The issue here is flexibility in a crisis. So the shelter system just buckling uh, with migrants being housed at 150 locations across the city, uh, the city spending uh, just millions of dollars. The question is, how is the future going to be any different than the past year? And if the if the future 
there is no reason to believe that uh, anyone is riding in with a solution with respect to the numbers. The city has spent roughly, you ready for the $760 million on services, supplies, and housing for the migrants, along with another $300 million on other resources. So that's more than a billion dollars just over the last year taking care of these migrants. To be very clear, the idea here is to obtain clarity and additional flexibility to the extent it is needed. Yeah, I mean, they say the system's just, you know, days away from collapsing. By the way, uh, Mayor Adams himself going to be on sit-in friends in the morning, 740 this morning. And I'm sure he'll be giving a lot more details on this migrant story and other issues as well. But make sure you're listening. Sit and friends in the morning, 740 this morning. Mayor Adams will be on. We are just getting started on this Thursday morning as we work our way up. Six o'clock, sit and friends in the morning. Fleet week underway. Did you see the ship sail in yesterday? We'll check in with some local military members who are actually home doing some R&R thanks to this fleet week celebration. Uh, we'll get into that as the morning wears on. We now know who was shot in Washington High yesterday this random shooting boy this is just a terrible story we'll give you the latest details on that duchess county continuing to push back against the migrants that could be sent there from the city we'll hear from the duchess county executive a book ban in new jersey could there be a law that stops the book bans we'll talk with a lawmaker there who wants to make that happen and the days of netflix subscribers sharing their passwords that's coming to an end those stories and more coming up but first this at 5.30. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. On 77 WABC. WABC. Both are real New York. Talking the news with Noah. On 77 WABC. This is the 77 WABC News Hour with Noah Layden. Yeah, that's May 532. Good morning. It is Thursday, May 25th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Plenty of sunshine today. High 69 tonight overnight. Partly cloudy, low 53. And then Friday, much of the same. Sunny. High 73. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 47 and clear in Rybrook up in Westchester. 50 and cloudy in Frenchtown down in New Jersey. And is 51 and clear here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour up in Washington Heights. We had told you about this story yesterday where a man was shot in the head outside of a Washington Heights deli. Can someone turn down whatever that is? Because that is way annoying. I can't. I'm trying to do a show here, and there's just loud noise. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So this um, innocent bystander fatally shot in the head during a drive-by shooting outside a deli in Washington Heights. This uh, 66-year-old man taking a gun to the uh, bullet to the head, West 162nd Street and Broadway. It was about seven. In the evening, right? So it's bright outside still. The man rushed to the hospital but could not be saved. We now know who he is. He had the, he is the, um, owner of this deli's father who had just arrived for a family visit from Egypt. I mean, just doesn't get any worse than that. He had nothing to do with the gunfire. It was just totally random and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Came like three days ago. The man is innocent. He have nothing to do with the 
the life over here. He just came to visit his son and he lost his life. I made the mistake of watching the surveillance video of this shooting yesterday. Just horrendous. The victim, Retta Gerges, was on the phone just seconds before being shot. Video showed Gerges, the father of the Delioni, just in from Egypt to see his family here in the city. That's when the bullets flew outside of this deli. It happened before, like a few months ago. It happened before somebody got killed and somebody was driving ride a motorcycle and somebody shoot. Yeah, just tragic. There have been no arrests. The investigation ongoing. Police think they know who the gunman is, but they have not caught up with them yet. Fleet Week underway here in the city with about 2,400 Marines, Navy, Coast Guard members in town to interact with the public, little R&R. Fleet Week is the quintessential New York moment to be able to say thank you to the men and women who serve our nation on behalf of protecting our freedoms. Saw them walking around yesterday. They were already in uniform, looked like they were having a good time already, which was great to see. President of the USS Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum there, Susan marinoff Zausner says... uh, She's excited to see those sailors and all those other soldiers in town. We're in uh, parks. We're in local high schools. Uh, we've got aerial demonstrations. We've got static displays to so some of our like marine vehicles. Yeah, so uh, this is the week. If you want to come in this weekend, you can get tours of the ships. They put on demonstrations. It's a really fun time to be in the city. Uh, Navy officer Ray Scambati, he floated in aboard the USS Wasp, which is an, an assault ship. Uh, New York is home from uh, home for him, rather. He is from West Islip. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. You know, happy to be representing both my wa- uh, the Wasp and, you know, the local area. And just overall excited to be uh, participating in Fleet Week. So we asked him about this uh, ship called the USS Wasp. So the Wasp is an amphibious assault ship. Uh, it's first in the class, uh, Wasp class, LHD. Uh, we like to say kind of, you know, first in the fleet. You can see the big one kind of going to be on the side once it comes in. Um, but yeah, what our primary mission is to basically put Marines ashore. He's in charge of a lot of the uh, Navy men aboard that ship. And he has an interesting story. Of course, a lot of people join the military right out of high school. Scambati says he was in grad school, finishing grad school. And uh, he said, you know, I just wasn't ready for the corporate world. And he said, I wanted to see the world. And he said, uh, I've always had this thought about going into the military. So he did, made the big decision decision to join the Navy. And he says, so happy that he made that decision. Really just want to do something unique. Finishing up grad school, didn't necessarily kind of want to go into the corporate world. I said, you know, military's always been uh, something in the back of my mind. I researched my options. And uh, like I said, I want to go, as the Navy says, join the Navy, see the world, uh, doing something unique. I lead a division of sailors on board, and I definitely think I've achieved that goal. Yeah, good for him. The officer says he'll take part in Fleet Week celebrations that include ship tours. There will be a Navy tank demonstration and a bunch of concerts as well. Again, a really fun weekend to be in the city. WABC News Time 539. Dutchess County, the latest to be granted a temporary restraining order that bans New York City from busing up migrants to that area. The Dutchess County Executive Bill O'Neill says they simply just don't have the room to handle the migrants that Mayor Adams wants to send their way. Uh, New York City, we feel, has exacerbated this by accepting people. And then when they realized that they were in over their head, they began moving them to counties like Dutchess. Yeah, so a bunch of counties have this now. A state Supreme Court judge granting Dutchess this temporary restraining order to stop Mayor Adams from sending buses of migrants in. The ruling, by the way, will also force 
in New York City to pay all the costs connected to the 86 migrants that were bussed into Dutchess County. It was to a hotel in Poughkeepsie earlier this week. Uh, you have Rockland County doing the same thing, Nassau County doing the same thing, uh, Orange County doing the same thing. Uh, the only one not doing that is Westchester County, where George Latimer, the county executive, has said that migrants are welcome in his county. 540, city teachers rallying outside of Brooklyn Borough Hall yesterday to demand a new contract. Teachers are saying no to 3%. That's referencing a 3% pay raise that they say is not enough for them. Hundreds of them arriving directly from the classroom after teaching on Wednesday. We need our contract. The only way we're going to get that contract is to make noise and to make it more and more that the city knows you can't turn your back on your teachers. That's United Federation of Teachers President Michael Mulgrew, who joined them, saying that the teachers working in the largest school system in the nation deserve more. UFT rallies were in full swing, by the way, across all five boroughs yesterday. Let's go out to New Jersey. New legislation in the Garden State would prohibit libraries and public schools from banning or restricting access to certain books. If passed, any library that bans a book any way would be the risk of losing its funding. It comes at a time when efforts to censor material have grown nationwide. Here's New Jersey State Senator Andrew Zwicker, who's sponsoring this bill. So the amount of attempts to ban books and censor books in New Jersey and around the country has just skyrocketed. If a public library is going to ban or censor a book, then the state has the authority to withhold some or all of their public funding. The American Library Association says there was nearly 1,300 demands from various members of the public to censor library books and resources last year. That's the highest number since the group started keeping records more than 20 years ago. The librarian in Roxbury, New Jersey, has really been under fire there. Uh, Residents want to ban some books and successfully have. But she says she won't back down from those who want to ban books. And she says some of them have called her a pornographer uh, for putting some of these books on the shelves. And she's fighting back against that as well. In my library, I have books about Donald Trump and Barack Obama, about Hitler and Gandhi, about abstinence and STDs. And yes, I have books about queer love and straight love. Yeah, some of the books uh, are books that in, well, they, the people who are in favor of the book ban say encourage a gay lifestyle. The ones who are against the book ban say no, it just gives people information. Uh, that librarian filing a defamation suit against four parents who said, called her that uh, pornographer. The New Jersey bill proposal asked for more tolerance. Uh, here again, State Senator Andrew Zwicker. Change is difficult, and what we're seeing right now is people who are uncomfortable with some of this change being very, very loud. Not clear if this bill stands a chance, but uh, he's going to try to push it through. 543, the days of Netflix subscribers sharing their passwords coming to an end. Michael Schneider, he's with Variety, says there's no escaping this crackdown. They've tried to do this before. Pretty soon, uh, if, if you are using someone else's password and you don't live in their household, then at some point your device is just no longer going to work. I don't know if your household is like mine, but I have lost track of the passwords that are 
ours and the ones that we share with other families. I, my kids are all, I, I don't even know what I'm paying for anymore. And I, my guess is this is like you as well if you have kids. I have, I feel like I have a zillion streaming services. I do not know the passwords to any of them. Thankfully, they're saved. But I know Netflix is one that my kid in Philly uses when he's in school. So he apparently won't be able to use that out of the household. So I'm not sure exactly how they're able to figure this out. But if you're the one person paying for it, which is me, then and I travel to like a vacation home, I'll be able to use it. But my oldest one, Gabe, who's in college in Philadelphia, he no longer will. And if I want to uh, let him use Netflix, I'll have to pay an extra eight bucks uh, for him to do that. And I figure, you know what? I'm paying for his college tuition and his room and board. I'm not paying for another eight bucks for his Netflix subscription. But this is a big deal. Uh, you have a lot of people who subscribers to Netflix and have been for years saying they're not going to pay that extra buck. Uh, eight bucks and they're not going to sign up for a new membership. Uh, not clear what it will do to Netflix itself, but it's not as popular of a streaming service as it once was when it first came about, right? Uh, not as many people have it anymore. There's so much competition and other streaming services that some people say have a lot better options. Either way, Netflix saying no longer can you share that password. All right, 545. Let's head over to the 77 WABC sports desk. I'm guessing Justin Ellick probably has his parents' Netflix password saved on his uh, tube. Yeah, why? Because you, you, it's going to go away soon, They're not, unless they pay that 8 bucks for you to have it. It's not going away. Don't worry about it. You haven't figured it out? Yeah. How so? Uh, you know, I know a couple of hackers. Okay. okay. So uh, <laughs> just let's just say uh, I won't be uh, ceasing my Netflix uh, okay. viewership anytime soon. Well, you'll have to let me in on that then. Yeah, I will. And they know about it. I've got the inside at, uh, at Netflix. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Way back when, when they used to send them by mail. Don't oh, you remember that? Are you still getting those by mail? Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> it was sports. Now, you, wait. Now, now Gnome's awake on a Wednesday morning. Thursday morning. Now I'm not awake. Go back to bed. Yeah. Everybody go back to bed. <laughs> we go sports on the Diamond Deer. We'll start. Both the Mets and Yankees came up short with losses. The Yankees lose a 9-6 to the rival Orioles in the Bronx. And the Mets fall in 4-2 in Chicago to the Cubs. For the Yanks, things were going swell up 5-1 before an 8-run inning out of Baltimore in the 7th. That buried the Bombers for good. They'll try and bounce back to grab the series win tonight at 7-05 with Clark Schmidt getting the start against Baltimore's Kyle Gibson. As for the Mets, the loss makes it two straight for them and a series loss to the Cubs. With the offense failing to show up for the third straight contest, they'll see if they can inject some life into the bats tonight in the finale with Chicago. Set for a 7.40 p.m. first pitch and a Carlos Carrasco versus Kyle Hendricks pitching matchup on the ice. The Panthers get it done at home and complete the sweep of the Hurricanes winning game four by a score of 4-3 to three and punching their ticket to the Stanley Cup Finals where they'll meet the winner of the Golden Knights and Stars Series. Speaking of that Western Conference Final, things could be set in stone after tonight's 8 p.m. puck drop for Game 4 in Dallas with Vegas trying to complete a sweep of their own up three games to none. Tonight on the hardwood, the Heat and Celtics meet in Boston at 8.30 p.m. for Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Final. Miami will try yet again to eliminate Boston, currently up three games to one in the series. Here are sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Alec. MTA holding those public hearings as they want to implement fare hikes, congestion pricing. Uh, if approved, subway and bus rides would go up to $2.90, which is a 15 cents raise. Uh, drivers next year, next spring could be paying $23 to enter below Manhattan's 60th Street. Uh, as you imagine, the people who showed up at this hearing, none too happy to hear it. Some, though, in favor of congestion pricing. Congestion pricing will not serve everyone fairly. What is never discussed is the harm that congestion pricing will bring to the residents 
who live in the zone. Don't let the haters fool you. It is great. Keep pushing for it. We need it. Opponents say they shouldn't have to pay more for unsafe subways, saying the aging system won't have the capacity to handle the riders, the overflow, if congestion pricing is uh, implemented. Uh, Governor Hochul actually spoke at this public hearing. We suspended that last year, but we're going to keep the base fare under $3, and the weekly pass is just going up $1, and, and the city ticket on the railroads at peak hours will be $7. Yeah, I like that, just $1, but for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. you got to pay a, a whole lot extra each year. Bottom line gets hurt. The plans don't sit well with the Passengers United president, Charlton D'Souza. The subways are not safe. You guys should not have a fare increase. And then you guys want to have congestion pricing. Congestion pricing will not work because the subways are not designed to handle the overflow crowd. Yes. So, uh, as I said earlier, I mean, these public hearings are good. You can air your grievances, but the MTA has made its decision already. They won't pay attention to those hearings. They'll make, they made the decision to raise the fare. They will do so, they say, by Labor Day. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announcing his 2024 presidential run last night, releasing a video on Twitter. If you nominate me, you can set your clock to January 20th, 2025 at high noon. Because on the west side of the U.S. Capitol, I will be taking the oath of office as the 47th president of the United States. DeSantis served in the Navy, first elected to Congress 2012, became governor of Florida in 2018. There was uh, some tech issues early on last night. The Twitter Spaces launch, which is kind of like a Facebook Live. I think that's the best thing to compare it to, where you get a notification that someone's gone live and then you can go to essentially what's a room and watch them. Well, they went to this room and you couldn't get there if you were trying to sign on last night. They finally figured it out. Uh, it wasn't so good for Elon Musk, who, of course, owns Twitter and was taking part in this Twitter space. But when they did finally get up, there was a live stream and Governor DeSantis got to talk about a whole bunch of things. One of them being, he says, the U.S. going in the wrong direction. Our president, well, he lacks vigor, flounders in the face of our nation's challenges, and he takes his cues from the woke mob. I don't think it has to be this way. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice. A former President Trump watching this all last night, he called the rollout of the campaign a disaster, made that comment on his truth social platform. He says the campaign will be a disaster as well. But as you might guess, DeSantis disagrees. He talked about why he chose Twitter to announce his run. I think what was done with Twitter is really significant for the future of our country. We cannot have a society in which government is colluding with major tech platforms to enforce an orthodoxy. The governor taking questions last night from Twitter users. Uh, Lots of messages for Americans who are going to make their choice in another year. I pledge to be an energetic executive that will take on the important issues. Biden's pursued inflationary policies that are hurting working people. We will reverse those policies and we'll build an economy where working Americans can achieve a good standard of living. All right, 553, Brooklyn Bridge celebrating its 140th birthday yesterday. Mayor Adams on hand for the reopening of the recreational park under the bridge, which had been undergoing a reconstruction, sits next to the site once known as the Mecca of New York skateboarding. A decade of closing off this community, skateboarders, and I was a skateboarder. I knew how to do a few tricks. You know, I'm going to brush up on them and come out and use this park. Yeah, so the acre-sized space that's known as the Arches, uh, now going to offer basketball, pickleball, which is becoming huge, shuffleboard, and a bunch of public seating. By the way, 
Mayor Adams going to be on with Sid on Sid and Friends in the morning this morning at 740. So make sure you tune in. This is a weird story out of uh, Westchester County that police are sort of scratching their head over. A serial graffiti vandal is targeting pizza parlors across lower Westchester County. So far, the vandal has tagged six pizza joints. And what he leaves behind is a signature spray-painted pepperoni and green pepper pizza slice. It actually looks kind of cool. It's a slice of pizza that looks to be melting a little bit, and it's got that pepperoni and green pepper slice on it. But if you're the owner of the pizzeria, you might not think that's cool. Four Corners pizzeria owner Joe DeBalzo says his Pelham business was tagged last Tuesday. Maybe he's a customer, really likes our pizza, so he's, you know, kind of showing his passion uh, through art. Pizzeria La Rosa, Modern Pizza and Lounge in New Rochelle, they were targeted as as well as a Villaggio Pizzeria located across the street from the Tuckahoe Police Department. Uh, Cosimo and Johnny's in Eastchester, likely the first to be hit uh, back in April. I think it looks cool, but I don't agree that they put it on private property. It's like, is some guy trying to like mess with the pizza places? I don't really get it. I think it's awesome. It's not my building. I think he's just hungry. Yeah, so New Rochelle police say the person behind the assault could face criminal mischief charge that could result in a fine or even up to a year behind bars. But they're at a loss of why this person's doing it. Uh, you know, I never got to this story yesterday and people get upset and you should be. If I tease it, I should get to it. So uh, Andrew Stein, who was the former city council president back in the 1980s and 1990s, was out at a restaurant, Upper East Side. Uh, having a meal when all of a sudden he started to choke on his food. But I decided I'll be a little wild and I'll go for the veal chop. So I did. And I took a, a, a huge bite. And uh, when I uh, and it got stuck in my throat and literally I, I, I was gasping. I couldn't breathe for like three minutes and everybody panicked. And I think uh, the whole restaurant was watching. Yeah, so he was telling this story to Frank on the other side of midnight last night. So who came to Andrew Stein's rescue at this Italian restaurant on the Upper East Side uh, as he choked on veal or pork or whatever it was? Well, Woody Allen sprung into action and uh, did the Heinrich, 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 uh, Heinrich uh, uh, you know, maneuver on me. And uh, probably saved my life, you know. Wow. So uh, he really moved quickly. And, uh, you know, my throat is real. I went to the doctor today. My throat is uh, very red and sore. Uh, but no I mean, more veal chops. Yes, yeah, so Woody Allen, uh, a hero, not the first time, Babbitt, by the way. Back in 1992, he was out with uh, a Saturday Night Live producer at the time who began choking on a piece of bread. He saved his life, too. He's someone that I know and, and respect a lot, and uh, uh, he, he's a great guy. He's a couple of years older than me. You know, I'm, I'm 78, 
but uh, he's a great guy. Yeah, Woody Allen to the rescue. Who knew? WABC Time Check 558, sponsored by Boulevard Watches. Discover finely crafted timepieces available at Macy's. Let's find out what's happening on the Thursday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning from Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Alayden. Yes, indeed, your Friday Eve edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning, right around the corner, Bottle Movie Chower. You don't want to miss the minicast clip of the day. Today featuring the Rita Cosby show, uh, 9.40 this morning, we'll do the Peerless Spoilers. It's take trivia game, and in the way of guests this morning, Gnome, 6.40 this morning, Brian Kilmeade, 7.05, Curtis Lewa, 7.40, the big one for today, Mayor Eric Adams, 8.05, Alina Haba, 8.25 this morning, we'll do some nuggets with Gnome, late in 8.40, Big Bad Bill O'Reilly, 9.05, Bo Deedle in studio, and wrapping things out at 9.25 from the New York Post, Michael Goodwin. There you go, Gnome, lady. All right. Sounds like a great show. We're out of here on this Thursday morning. We'll do it all over again tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. Don't go anywhere now. Yeah, Sid and Friends in the morning. They are up next. <laughs>